Welcome to the Soul of Travel podcast. I'm Christine Weinbrenner Eirich, the founder of Lotus Sojourns, a book lover, yogi, mom of three girls, and your guide on this journey. We are here to discover why women who are seasoned travelers, industry professionals, and global community leaders fall in love with the people and places of this planet. Join me to explore how travel has inspired our guests to change the world. We seek to understand the driving force, unending curiosity, and wanderlust that can best be described as the soul of travel. Soul of Travel podcast is a proud member of the Journey Woman family, where we work to create powerful forums for women to share their wisdom and inspire meaningful change in travel. In each soulful conversation, you'll hear compelling travel stories alongside tales of what it takes to bring our creative vision to life as we're living life with purpose, chasing dreams, and building businesses to make the world a better place. But the real treasure here is the story of the journey. As we reflect on who we were, who we are, and who we're becoming, we are travelers, thought leaders, and heart-centered change makers. And this is the soul of travel. Samantha Smits is the founder of Smith Sus Tour Consultancy. She is a sustainable tourism consultant with a passion for travel and a commitment to making a positive impact. She has dedicated her entrepreneurial journey to helping tour operators and travel agencies embrace sustainability. Samantha specializes in empowering them to integrate sustainable practices into their operations and offers. She does this through hands-on project assistance, strategic coaching, personalized training, certification coaching, and more. With a background in tourism management and society and environmental studies and experience in the field, Samantha brings a unique blend of academic knowledge and real-world solutions, and she loves diving into local context to expand her horizons and learn daily. This was a fun episode for me because it really connected me to the energy and enthusiasm and curiosity I felt at the beginning of my career. When Samantha dropped into my virtual path, I was really drawn to the way she speaks about tourism and shares about sustainability. In this conversation, I loved uncovering where that has come from. During this episode, we talk about her instinct to follow her curiosity, to learn more about the world at a young age, and she shares about the impact of graduating and beginning a career during the global pandemic. We also talk about acknowledging the mistakes of our past travel as we work towards living and traveling more sustainably. And we also explore the responsibility of individuals, travel agents, tourism boards, and travel operators to adopt more sustainable practices. I know you'll be hearing so much more from Samantha, but for now, let's get started with my soulful conversation with Samantha Smits. Welcome to Soul of Travel podcast. I am excited today for, I think, a 
different perspective and a different kind of conversation than we typically have here on the podcast, um, but I'm really looking forward to it. Today, I'm joined by Samantha Smits, who is an independent sustainable tourism consultant and the founder of Smits Sus Tours Consultancy. And her expertise and I think her magical powers lie in empowering tour operators and travel agencies to really embrace sustainability in their offers and their operations. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Samantha. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here and I'm excited for a conversation. Thank you. Um, like I said, I really love this conversation because I have found um, over the past four seasons um, that I've really been talking with women who are maybe further along in their careers or transitioned from corporate travel and then recently launched their own businesses after having been in the industry. However, this time we get to hear from someone who is really starting out. You're more new to this space. Um, and I love that during our prep call for this that really helped to reconnect me to that part of my own journey. Um, so I can't wait to jump in and hear more from you. Um, I would love for you to just take a moment and introduce yourself and tell my listeners a little bit more about who you are. Okay. Uh, thank you. So as you introduced me shortly, I am Samantha Smith. Uh, I am indeed still fairly new. I am 24. By the time this comes out, I'm already 25 as after Christmas, it's my birthday. So still young. And I graduated like in the beginning of this year. So definitely fairly new to this. Just a few months after that, I started my entrepreneurial journey. And like this, I also ended up with a podcast. I'm very Happy to talk about my work where I, in my daily life, work with tour operators and with travel agencies and share my passion for sustainable travel with them. I think that's the shortcut. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I think the other thing that's really great is that while, you know, you're new into the industry, you're definitely not new to traveling and that you really started traveling solo at the age of 16, which I think is not something that is very common, especially not in the US. Um, but I would love to hear from you how you first kind of felt the pull to travel, um, what drew you to it and what had you uh, really excited about this industry? The way my curiosity about travel started, I think it originated from the holidays with my parents and the combination of my primary school. The primary school I went to, um, for background information, I am from the Netherlands. And despite that the Netherlands is a Western European country, there are a lot of cultures there because we have had a history of a lot of migrant workers. So I also had kind of a multicultural class with many colors and cultures. So since I was growing up, I already got in touch with those. And uh, in the beginning, you have no questions. And then when you grow older, you get like questions, you get invited to play at their homes. So we especially have a lot of people from Morocco, for example. So I would see the difference when I would play at a home of my Moroccan girlfriends than when they would be invited to my home. And this is where I started to realize that there are like differences in the way that people live and the stuff that people believe in. Because, for example, I could see their brothers praying or something, for example. And then to transfer to the part of my parents' holidays, we usually would go on holidays mainly in the Netherlands or to neighboring countries like Germany, Belgium, and France. 
and they, it, it was still good, definitely, if I reflect on it afterwards. But I, at some point, I wanted to know more. And they were perfectly fine where they, the way they were traveling, they were fine with that. They had no curiosity to go beyond that. But I started to get this big curiosity uh, that I knew there's more to see in this world. There are more cultures to discover than Wiener Schnitzel and Baguette. And I just wanted to see more. So I think uh, indeed around the age of 16, I just started to discover slowly a bit more of Europe. But I think when I was 16, I definitely stayed close before. But then you grow in confidence. And I started my bachelor when I was 17. And I also traveled for my bachelor. So that also really helped traveling solo and young. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's, um, it is interesting when you start, I think so many of us see hints of other cultures and that's kind of that thing that opens the door that we realize, you know, this bubble that maybe we're in growing up, um, that there's something else out there. And like you said, that curiosity just gets ignited. And then all of a sudden we're like, Hey, what else don't I know about? What else haven't I seen? Uh, what other parts of the puzzle can I put together about, you know, the world around me? And so I think that's a really relatable, like, emotion and drive. Um, well, I wanted to hear, you mentioned that you recently graduated. And I, I think this is also, for me, really interesting because so many of us that were in the industry found us ourselves, you know, faced with the turmoil of what happened during the pandemic and you yourself graduated in 2020. So not only, you know, is it a hard industry sometimes to find your space in to, um, especially for you, carry your values forward into the work that you want to do. Um, all of a sudden, you're in this space that's very different than what you had been planning for when you started your career. Um, I would love to hear how what that was like for you, um, how you had to look at things differently. Maybe that was the catalyst of your entrepreneurial journey, but can you share a little bit about that experience? Yes, yes, for sure. So... I think I started my bachelor in 2016 and then I was like 17, very, very young. And uh, I was lucky to finish the bachelor. It was a practical one. So it takes four years to have no delay to do it in four years straight. So then indeed in 2020, middle of the Corona crisis, 21 years old, I had a bachelor in international tourism management, which was of course not excellent timing. And it was also ended with I was writing a bachelor thesis, uh, and for that one, I was in Thailand, actually, close to the border of Burma, and I had to return soon from my fieldwork. I was planning to stay a little bit longer, but I had to return because on the news, they were saying that the borders from outside of Europe would close. So my family and my surroundings and also myself urged me, go home because maybe you cannot. So yeah, those times were crazy. And then writing the thesis and basically isolation. I think it's already kind of isolating without the corona crisis, but add on the corona crisis. So gladly I still managed, but then I think first I was just planning to indeed start working when I was graduated. And then with the corona crisis, I kind of lost perspective. Like I had no clue what to do because I wanted to like travel, but at that point the borders were closed. I think we had like many hard lockdowns in the Netherlands. And of course, this also helped me to appreciate the beauty of my own country. 
but it also made me confused. But at the same time, I'm also grateful because it also made me realize 21, I am so young. I like I also realized I was not ready to work yet. I also still wanted to be young. And I noticed that I wanted to learn more because it was only at the end of my bachelor's studies that I got in touch with sustainability, where I got this answer to my question. So tourism is not only about commercial, not only about sales, not only about marketing. There's more to it. It can be good because I started to doubt it at the end of my studies when all my peers would end up in sales and marketing. Some even went to IT. No clue how that happened. And I was just wondering, that's not where I want to go. But I know that I'm in the tourist sector that I like. And then navigating around and with the help of the minor I did, I found a university in Wageningen, which actually offered a sustainable tourism master. So it kind of felt like the puzzle pieces came together because it also enabled me to do another internship abroad, which was like, yes, another excuse to live abroad for a few months, which really attracted me. And that also really helped me to choose this. And then after that, yeah, I think the first year was also still Corona crisis. So all the classes were again in Corona crisis, self-study. So I think this whole thing of doing everything for yourself during Corona, what I'm getting to, also made me realize that it's something I'm capable of. Because definitely when you're an entrepreneur, you're also doing a lot of stuff independent and for yourself without of course you can show up somewhere but there's also a lot of work which you do on yourself so there was a lot of reflection during this period and i think all of that guided me to the point where i am now basically yeah well, and i love what you said about you know finishing your um your first degree and kind of having this image of the industry and realizing that you weren't sure that was aligned with what you really wanted to do. And I had a similar experience. Um, I did a, just a three month training course in the tourism industry at one point. And when I got done, all I knew were all the things I didn't want to do. You know, I was like, I'm not interested in sales marketing. I don't want to be a travel agent. Um, and there had been one man that came in and he talked about educational travel and conservation, and he had spent a lot of time in Africa and a lot of community-based tourism, even though none of that, none of that language was really being used when I, you know, had this experience. And I just thought, hmm, whatever that is, that's what I want to be a part of. And luckily, shortly after that, I ended up working for a company that really had that kind of foundation around educational travel and conservation. And I thought, okay, yes, we can do this. And then I also went on to get my master's in sustainable tourism. And I thought, okay, great. We can, we can do travel in a different way. Um, and so I think one of the things I'd love to talk to you about is the beginning of our sustainability journey really has us realizing as we reflect on the mistakes we've made in the past and understanding, you know, now how we can make different choices. I think a lot of people in their business and their own travels, one of the things that kind of stops them is they don't want to acknowledge that they've made bad choices in the past or Maybe they don't want to reconcile the behaviors that you need to have to actually be a more sustainable traveler. 
but I'm wondering if you could share some of the moments you had looking back, maybe choices you made that didn't align with your current awareness and values and how you would support others in making that transition into that style of travel. Yes, yeah, I can come up with various at this moment because indeed like when you, I think many people when they start a sustainability career, they have had this moment when something just hit them, like a moment of realization, because there is no way, at least I, I don't think that people just know this automatically. You just have had to have some moment of reflection. And I think in my case, um, I, I really like animals. So as a child, I love the zoos. And by now then, I prefer to see them where they actually belong in the wild. But like, so I think also in my early stage of travels, I would also have like activities with animal interaction because I was so uninformed. And I think that's a big trouble with travelers and because they even tell you it's not bad. Like, see, the animal can walk away. There's no problem. Yeah, but the will is already broken. Like now I know, but back then, oh yeah, it's, it will be all right. They are the experts. You, I had no clue that swimming with dolphins was bad. And uh, animal uh, the the snake around the neck which happens in so many places i had no clue those things were bad by now i know but those really are things you have to be educated or informed about and in both those places i did not receive any code of conduct of course because it was their business model but like it was not like the destination also helped me to avoid those because usually destinations tell you what to avoid and what they recommend and Regarding the, the, the people element, I think you'll at some point realize that people are like working too hard in like crazy conditions and they will be very, very nice about it. So in the comparable to the animals, you'll be like, oh, okay, they say it's fine, it will be fine. And then at some point you realize, no, it's not. They just are desperate for the money. And I also had very um, consumptional, I would call behavior of traveling when I, I think by now we call it revenge travel I think a lot of people had like this tendency of revenge travel after the corona crisis I think I started revenge traveling because I didn't go much outside of the Benelux which is like the term of the Netherlands and the countries around it when I was younger which is fine when I reflect on it by now but when I was an angry teenager who needed to see more of the world and wanted to, who was curious as well, I started revenge traveling. I started taking many city trips and wanted to see the rest of Europe as soon as possible. And then by now I realized, oh, I could have done that differently. I could also just have like interrailed. But again, the point of information, I think at that point, uh, it was not accessible uh, in terms of money and in information. So, yeah, I definitely would have done it differently if I know, but it is also needed to realize. So, yeah, like I said, many examples. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that, like you said, the, the where the education needs to come from, because as a traveler and you see these experiences that align with your current interests, you're like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to do that. And they're telling me that this is a great experience and that it's good for the community and it's good for the animals and it's good for all these different things. So we think as travelers, we want to trust these people that look like local experts. Um, but if 
tourism boards or larger agencies aren't helping to educate travelers about what is actually harmful in their communities, it's really hard to discern what is true and what is good. And can things be partly good and partly bad? You know, like all of a sudden as a traveler, you're taking on quite a lot to learn how to understand what we need to do. Um, and I think the other thing that's really important is, and we kind of talked about this before, is that what really needs to happen is a lot of hard and uncomfortable conversations. And I think we really typically try to avoid that. Um, most people don't want to be a part of those spaces. And so I just think it's really important to encourage people that are thinking about how they can change their travel behaviors, how companies can change their structures, that they just have to be a part of those conversations. Yes, definitely agree. And especially like how you bring in the company side of it as well, because especially sustainability and with a lot of things in life, basically, the issue will be pointed to the individual or in this case, the customer, the traveler, whilst I think, and that's also why I focus on two operators and travel agencies. I think the companies have much more effect because a company will hit multiple individuals at once rather than take an individual one by one by one by one, which is also impossible because not everyone will budge. But when you're like a company, the chances are way more likely that you like convince the majority because you're like, you have the authority and you have the status. And Indeed, the, the way you say, if if you have a company who admits their previous mistakes, like we, I've, I've seen this in my work, that they would admit on the website that we used to offer elephant rights, but because of this and this, we have removed it from the offer. It is open and blankly like this on the website, and I respect it so much, because they are honest about their mistakes, and it's education at the same time, because you can also just remove and never talk about it anymore and just be like, okay, next. But I think it is way more educational for the people who are like resistant about it. We're going to email you, oh, we want to ride an elephant. Why don't you offer this? Mm -hmm. It's way more educational if you, in an example like this one, explain the change. And then people will be way more like, oh, fair point. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important. As you were even saying that, that's what I was thinking is how powerful it would be as a traveler if you you know are researching this area and you see that there it's the thing you thought you wanted to do and you click on it and it says actually we don't offer this anymore here's why then you've created such a great opportunity to share why you made that choice and then the other thing that you said too about companies offering what is already more sustainable because then travelers have no other choice. Like they have are booking sustainable travel because it's the only thing being offered to them. They don't have to choose between two different options. Um, you're setting it up, you know, within the company that way. And I, I think that that's happening more and more now. I, I, I do think people are really trying to create that offer. And I think especially for agents, and um, I should have looked up the name of this past interview, but I'll put it in the show notes for people listening. But agents really can communicate with so many travelers and, you know, they're offering such a wide variety of things 
that if they really start talking to their travelers about sustainability or putting forward different products that are aligned with that, they can really, I think, powerfully shift consumer behaviors with the way they're influencing travelers. Absolutely, I fully agree. Yeah. And you also see it a lot, even between the companies themselves. I think a lot of companies also look at other companies. Or for example, it's a question I get asked a lot with, um, for example, I'm also a coach for Travel Life. And then people ask me, what is the benefit of sustainability certification? I will not dive into that too much, that's too technical. But here the point is, again, you see a lot that when people start with the certification, or in this case with sustainable behavior, is the, it rarely happens out of own interest. I mean, if it is, I think it's the great motivator. I would love that to be the main motivator. But to be honest, it happens a lot because they see like a bigger company being successful and embracing it too. And then they're like, oh, we should look into this too. And then usually they start to get on the educational side. Or maybe this is just the context I'm in and other people are in way more greenly motivated context. But this is something I see a lot in practice. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to go back before we talk about a few of the other things on my list to your work in Thailand and the thesis that you wrote and your experience there. And I'm wondering how that experience influenced where you are now and what you saw really being immersed in that community, um, how that has shaped what you're doing moving forward. So the, the whole reason I choose this like bachelor topic, uh, I knew by then I already did the the minor, which was like focused on sustainability in general, but that was not tailored to tourism yet. But then I knew usually in sustainability, what I will tell all the people, you can, you have like the people aspect and the plant aspect and also the money aspect, of course. But like within sustainability, it already came back to me again that I have the greatest interest in the people part. I did already started from the primary school, as I explained, like I've always had this interest in people's ways of living and cultures and just, I am so curious. I ask my friends way too many questions, but it, it, it came back and there again, it keeps this continuous line. I wanted to do something with the people and tourism, with the people actually living somewhere. And I found this organization, it's an NGO, I believe they're called Fair Tourism Foundation. And they, they work a lot with communities. And because of them, I actually figured out what community-based tourism is. And then I took like a deep dive, I wrote a bachelor thesis on it. And I believed in combination with it, that it was a great excuse for me to travel. I did not want to write about some people far away, write in, in their name, write about them, research about them without having seen them and also just talks to them. For me, it felt kind of rude. Maybe I'm just using this as to excuse my travel behavior that I did not hear their part of the story and that I would just write on their name based on old research. So I kind of already knew from the beginning, I mean, I financed it with my student loan, but I, I already was like, I'm gonna have to do this one. I really want to go there. I have to hear the perspective. I will arrange a translator or something. I don't believe this research will be good without hearing it from their sides too. And in this case, it was about two villages. One village, is, one village already had some kind of a CBT model, which still needed some improvement, but they had a model 
which could be used, but it was not used a lot, or at least the the people living there actually recognized the model, but it was not communicated to the visitors. So then you already see this gap, which is again about informing. It is so important to inform the travelers. And then after visiting them and having a homestay, so getting their food, which basically is five times rice a day, but again, variation, it's very tasty as well. I went to a near neighboring um, village and that was such a big contrast that they were like in the media, it would be called like a human zoo. It was about the giraffe woman. And all of these terms are very derogatory. They are like bad terms because they have like tribe names. They are tribes, the Kayan tribe to be specific. And it, it was such a big difference where one felt more like authentic village to me. One was like a market. And then around it, there would be living people with normal houses. And then kind of like a centerpiece, a square. In there was a market with those people. So it was such a big difference to see that. And that's then also when, it, when I realized to yeah, some stuff would also be some kind of a show. Because, for example, when there were no tourists, they would be on their phones and other stuff like this. And again, I'm not telling them they shouldn't be. They're humans. I'm on my phone all the time, too. But it really strikes me to see like the difference also from the back end, from a place which had a CBT model and a place where I was sent to to look if there was any possibility for a CBT model. And wow, yeah, I, it, it was especially me then talk to these women because both places had the majority of women. You need a good translator, of course, and some stuff will still get lost in translation, but most of them just have good attentions and, again, don't have the knowledge. And then when some, they would even learn some stuff from my interview questions, which I was surprised by. So yeah, it has been an eye-opening experience next to just like experiencing being like in an Asian culture, being in Thailand, close to the border of Burma, also hearing their stories because this tribe is, are actually refugees from Burma. So they are a tribe who were like refugees from Myanmar, Burma settling down in villages, becoming a tourist attraction. So it was crazy to learn about it and to how hospitable they were with hosting me and cooking for me, even teaching me how to do laundry by hand because I never did laundry by hand before. Yeah, it was a humbling but such a great experience and I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what you're explaining just seeing the power dynamics in in travel and especially I think in community-based tourism you know I, I think so many of us believe this is really important that we need to have conversations driven by communities um, but we have to also understand the power dynamics that already exist especially as you were talking about with the refugee culture in another country what is already in place systemically that is not fostering equitable travel or even the opportunity for equitable tourism. And um, I, I think that's one of the things for me when I traveled is like noticing that inequity was the thing that made me think, okay, I think maybe we were not doing this right. That this feels like you said, like one place felt very performative and one place felt very real. And how did that happen 
basically side by side one another, like what were the differences that caused that to happen? So I imagine for you, that was a really, like you said, a really powerful place to observe what was happening. Yeah, absolutely. And just they're from the same tribe. They were just like one, there, there was like a small hike in between of maybe like not more than two hours. So on a, on a small hiking distance from there, the, two different worlds, same tribe. Mm -hmm. And they know each other. They will talk about the other villages, uh, gossip even a bit about how stuff is going in the other village. Oh, it's crazy, but it was such an interesting experience. And then you, it really humbles you because, of course, I think the big part about travel when you don't make it as much consumptional and when you really start to see other cultures, it really humbles you mm. and it teaches you a lot. Exactly the way you were, you were talking about inequality. I think I will still... I still get like confronted with inequality regularly. And then you just want to figure it, hit yourself in the face. Like how could I ever think certain stuff or ever doubt about certain stuff? Or how can I not be happy in the situation I am if they have the best, are living so happily in this one? For example, and I spend a lot of time in Tanzania, but I also have seen this in Thailand that like, People can be so happy with so little stuff. And it really made me uh, back home. I I had a very hard time throwing stuff away. And again, uh, I would prefer to recycle on the sustainability part. But I, I would hoard. I couldn't even recycle. I would just hoard stuff. And oh, even trembling made me kind of trying to get rid of that habit. That I just was like, why do I need all this stuff? What is this good for? Some for memories, I'm sure. But this one can just go to like the second hand shop because I was so afraid of throwing it away and then oh it, it really it gives me every time I every time I get a new lesson I think like it will never stop teaching you hey listeners I have an exciting announcement I can't wait to share with you the book sojourn is back in 2021 I wanted to find a way to bring women together in the absence of the travel experience I offer with Lotus Sojourns. I wanted to create a space for connection, cultural understanding, growth, and most importantly, belonging. And it was magic. Pardon the use of your lingo, Liz Gilbert, but really, it was big magic. We set out to read 12 books in 12 months, meeting virtually twice each month and having deep and passionate conversations about the books and all of the lessons we were learning. Showing up for each other, being real and vulnerable, and supporting each other in one of the hardest times of our lives. Then we decided to do it again. In 2023, we were feeling life speed up and the book club was set aside. However, over the past few months, I've spoken with so many women, and the thing I've heard in common from many of them are thoughts like these. I'm running faster than ever in my business and in my life. I am tired and not prioritizing myself. I feel like I need to heal. 
Since returning to life as normal, I feel anything but normal. I feel like there's no place for me to grieve the life I used to have, and I need a supportive community. I am craving deep and meaningful connection. I need a community of women where I feel a deep sense of belonging. So this is what I've been hearing from all of the women I've been connecting with, and I'm feeling it too. All of these feels. And I have missed this special circle of women who came together for this unique journey through the pages of inspiring books. So here we are. I am bringing it back. And I cannot wait for you to join me for this guided journey that past members have shared is so much more than a book club. We'll begin at the end of January with a community welcome call and review the books we'll enjoy in 2024. We'll go over the format of the calls, the Facebook groups, and more. Then in February, we'll begin reading our first book. I cannot wait to bring you the ever-growing Soul of Travel community along on this journey. You'll find more information about the 2024 Soulful Book Sojourn on my Lotus Sojourns website. While you're there, just hit any of the Join Us buttons on the page and you'll be added to our mailing list for more information and enrollment will start soon. Visit www.lotussojourns.com slash women's dash book dash club. Again, that's lotussojourns.com slash women's dash book dash club. And if you land on the website, you'll see the women's book club right at the top of the header. I'm so excited that this is right around the corner and we don't have to wait long to share this sacred space with one another. And for all of you who sign up on the waiting list before the end of December, you'll be entered to win a few special prizes. One of you will win the entire year journey, and I'll give a few more month-long sojourn experiences away to you. So make sure you head over to the Lotus Sojourns website, get on the mailing list, and you'll know as soon as we open the doors for this book sojourn. I really can't wait to be back in this space with all of you. But for now, let's head back over to our soulful conversation. Yeah, I think it's really important and yeah, to see how different cultures place different values on different things. And I, I think, like you said, we've been a part of a very consumptive uh, culture, you know, for many years and, and that has flowed into travel. And, and I'm glad you brought this up again, because I think it's a way we've been taught to travel. I was just talking with someone else about this as well. Like we as travelers, if you go back to, you know, the education that happens to us, we've been taught how to consume experiences. And so we really have to think about, I think as an industry shifting, shifting that story that we tell travelers of what what they want to get out of an experience, which, you know, they now believe it's seeing all the top sites, seeing them as quickly as possible, seeing them with days that start at six in the morning and go until 10 at night to make sure that you see everything. Um, but I, I think so many companies are now shifting that to 
you know, how do you want to feel when you travel? What kind of connections do you want to make? Um, how do you want to support local communities? Which then we're really talking about very different types of experiences. Yes, I think more meaningful experiences. At least this is the word I'm seeing more. Uh, even my bachelor, I think, received the newsletter of them today, actually, that they, they used that like the tagline. Uh, I used to go to Breda Boas, and they used to have the tagline, discover your world, which is great, but could be regarded a little bit consumptive, indeed. And they changed it to creating meaningful experiences, which I really applaud them. Because mm -hmm. that is indeed like the the change in focus towards what I always say, I like a good solution and sustainability would be for people to to travel less. But I just know that's not going to happen. People will have this desire. So then it's so important that if you do something, do it good. So then give them more meaningful experiences and educate them on how to be more meaningful to the community and the destination. Because I, I really believe in that like the majority of people will do good when it's easy for them and when they're educated about it. Because people just tend to go for the easiest choices, right? So just may, make it easy to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were talking about sustainability too, I think a lot of times we think it's, you know, we can't, we shouldn't travel at all, like you said, because of all transportation is inherently at this point in our existence, not sustainable. And so then, you know, that, that would say that all travel is unsustainable, but when you were talking about the other pillars of travel, which I think both of us, the community part is so important. The people part is so important. Then they do need travel for sustainable, for their sustainable lifestyle, for them to be able to exist in so many places around the world but just trying to figure out how to change the model of how those interactions is, are happening. So I love, you know, the way that you've talked about travel, which is something I want to get into next. This is how you and I met is um, seeing each other's posts on LinkedIn and Instagram. I think we just were like, yes, I love what you said. Yes, I love what you said. And then eventually we found our way yes. into messages. Um, and I still love following your content. So I really encourage my listeners on LinkedIn Thank to you. make sure they find Samantha. Um, I think that you do such a great job, one with consistency, um, which is huge. I know that is not, um, although I shouldn't say it's not my thing because one of my friends says my strong suit is consistency, but I schedule everything. So I forget I'm consistent. <laughs> Um, and two, that you create really valuable and clear content that is like very approachable, not technical, even through this conversation, I noticed you are really conscious of that and that is, is very honest. So I'm wondering how, how did that come to be? Is that something that's innate to you? Was that a decision choice you made in content? And can we talk a little bit about how you're using those platforms as a place for connecting and education as well? Um, it's definitely a decision because in daily life, I can get technical, but then call it Dutch culture, call it the way my friends or my support system is. I think I have a very honest, straightforward support system and I welcome that definitely. So I will get called on it very soon when I'm too technical. And even in the beginning of sharing content, I think I also was too technical. 
and I also got feedback about it and I saw the difference in engagement as well. And it was kind of uh, funny because I wanted one of my uh, unique points to be, I, I, I'm already quite chatty of myself, but then also to be able to talk about sustainability in a chatty way, which doesn't make people like, oh, sustainability, but we're more like, oh, okay, okay. I always wanted to do this, but it's definitely still like steps I have to take in. So it is a, a good, great compliment of you to hear that I'm or apparently already succeeding on that part because I've definitely made decisions on that. I've all, I'm also like uh, getting help with it sometimes to just ask, just to get some feedback. I will, for example, like uh, ask my boyfriend, uh, he, for example, he's in tourism, but not on the sustainability part. And then he will explain to me if it's like too technical or I have someone who helps me with like these designs, like all the, the, the content that's mine, but the designs I usually get help with. So then she has to put it in there anyway. And she's Dutch like me and she's also very, very direct. So she will just say, girl, I have no clue what you're saying. What do you mean? And I think this makes me very, very humble and I really appreciate and welcome this always. And it really helps me to do so. But I think in general, I'm also when I'm talking, it's easier for me to be more casual because I'm kind of, I think this was also in my personal, in my previous travel behavior. And oh, how do you say so? Like I talk sooner than that, I think. There's an English word for it, but it's in the top of my tongue. I, maybe I can recall it later. So usually I've already said something and then my mind's like, hold on. And <laughs> Then when you have the time to actually write something, I will overthink it. So then when you overthink, you have more chance to make it too, too, too technical. Then when I say something and just think about it 10 minutes later, what did I do? And again, you should never be ashamed of yourself. You should always be authentically wherever you want to be. But that happens a lot in my case. But it is a benefit, I think, when talking about sustainability. Because it's way more i really see that people appreciate this indeed when you talk about them with that in a conversational way you actually already break it down and make it seem more approachable uh, less scary because for some people it's a very scary word because they're afraid it's like something expensive with too many technicalities mm -hmm. and yeah. then when you just talk about like oh but you can just do this and it doesn't cost you any money you can do this tonight or tomorrow and then the day after you can do something else and then you've started with sustainability mm -hmm. and they're like huh mm -hmm. and and that first reactions are like the most when you like crack into someone's mind with you can just start small because the smaller steps invite for bigger ones yeah I, I do think, I think that's such an important thing too. Like not only does the conversation need to be accessible, but the action needs to be accessible. And I think, especially if people are talking to sustainable tourism professionals, they think, well, I don't know anything about it. I don't know all the things, you know, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not going to go and become, I'm not going to get my master's in sustainable travel management in order to shift my business um, and so again, there's like this paralysis that kind of happens. And I think, like you said, this just like, just do this, you've already started. And then people are like, wait a second, what I've already started, or maybe even pointing out things in their business that they're already doing that are more sustainable than another choice, uh, is really empowering to see like, oh yes, I can actually 
do this. And I think probably you and I are both speaking about smaller businesses, maybe even with one or two owners or operators. Um, so then the idea of completely changing your structure feels nearly impossible. Um, so I think it is really helpful to find those small steps and see how that they can make changes. Um, the other thing that I loved that we talked about before is kind of the idea of, you know, you're on the right path when you're being met with resistance. Um, and we talked about how in early in my career, like really nobody wanted to talk about sustainability. And this is, you know, going back to like 1998 or 99, like quite some time ago, but no, nobody really wanted to talk about it or very few people did. And I always kind of make the joke that we were set at like the back of one little table in the back of the room at conferences and being like, don't go to that table. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it was really frustrating to see that it's a very different space now, but we would notice, I would notice the discomfort of people. So I guess what I'm, what I'm talking about is like, when you notice yourself getting negative feedback or when you notice people getting uncomfortable and ruffled that you're probably in the right tracks because the like ruffled feathers lets you see where beliefs are really deeply ingrained in a culture and ingrained in an industry. And that's where we need to make the change. So I'd love to talk to you about that a little bit. Like, what do you do when you notice that you're ruffling feathers or that you are getting some pushback. Um, how do you keep yourself moving forward? That's such a good one. And of course, every time you're still like growing while doing that, definitely like in the beginning, it's hard to not always take it to like to personal. And then at some point you just realize it's just like you say, you see where the roots come from. So you see that it's more about them than about you. And indeed, if you then, what I always try to keep the conversational and then figure out where this fear comes from, because maybe you can take it away by indeed breaking something down or see where it comes from. Because indeed, like the, the difference with when there's like resistance, it comes from something because they have like a view, they made their mind up. It's just, I cannot imagine it is without reason because there has to be a reason to have the resistance. So then I just try to, it's kind of like a puzzle. Sometimes there's more energy to do so than another day. But usually I try to just dig into where it comes from because also for me, it's a lesson. I also like to, it's not just because I want to to bother them by like, oh, I still want to make you do this. Just tell me what's up with you. It's also just interesting to see their perspective and see if I can actually do something with it or help them with them. So it is something... My friends will actually laugh about when they hear me because I think in daily life, I'm not known to be the most patient person. <laughs> but then I think somehow in my uh, career, I bring up some ex my, my patients. Maybe that's where all the energy for my patients goes to. But maybe because when I'm really like interested in something and when I see the benefit of it, just as in this one, to find out the roots of where this ruffled feather is or where this resistance comes from. I think this derives from this big curiosity that I've had since I was young. At this point, it just becomes curiosity, just like something I want to figure out, something I want to dive into, something I want to learn about. Yeah. So and yeah, I think, I think the curiosity keeps me up. 
Yeah. I was just going to say too, you know, if you're consulting with businesses and helping them to create sustainability plans and strategies, and you're noticing that resistant to things, it's really important to understand where that's coming from, because that is the shift that you have to make. So you do have to understand, okay, why, you know, why do they feel this way about this thing? Or what were they told maybe originally in their career or in this company or in this, you know, in this way, like to figure out how to un untie it, you know, if they're, if they're really connected to that, you're having to figure out how to, to rewrite that belief. And so I think it is really important to notice that. And, and I think sometimes too, I notice people have the resistance to the thing they actually want to let go of the most, but they're like still fighting. They're like hanging on to that really tight because they're maybe about ready to let it go. If that makes sense. Like it's, it might actually be something that they realize they want to be done with, but it's been a, a huge part of their personal identity or their brand identity or, you know, the industry identity, but it's like that one last ditch effort to hang on. And so like, yeah, it's like the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're just resisting because maybe they are realizing they need to release it, but it's such been such an important part of, of that identity. Yeah, they might be scared because indeed they might realize at that point, I think that also helps a lot of sustainability because at this point, I think there are, at least in my sector, there are like almost no tourism companies who have not heard of sustainability. You have to be very of the world, maybe like very community-based, not have heard of it, but then community-based ones practice it in daily practice already. So in essence, I don't think that they don't have heard of it before. Mm -hmm. It is just if they their association with it matches the meaning and if they see any benefit in it. And so, yeah, I think what I see a lot is that it is, oh, sustainability is the thing that gets me clients, right? That is what I see a lot. And in the long term, yeah, probably. But short term, you're going to have to do a lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. But then I try to phrase that in a nicer way, of course. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then indeed, you they're like scared of the, the road they have to take because uh, because it has been presented so technical, because it comes with many conferences and maybe with like sacrifices, definitely sacrifices, what I see like in my, uh, what I saw in my studies with my peers, but also like with my friends or family, that they know that taking all these city trips by plane, that flying from the Netherlands to London, that it's a bad thing, they know, but they're so used to it. And then indeed, why would they change uh, as if they're going to change the world by themselves? And then you will hear a lot of arguments like this. They're just rooted in this comfort zone that we were talking about, that you talked about, and it's hard for them to let go. And then when the other option gets easier or when there's more known about it, because now it's just like, yeah, I know that the train is better, but oh, it's difficult, it takes so long, and delay. But at the same time, the airplanes get delayed all the time as well. But then it's so rooted that don't touch the planes. Mm -hmm. And it's with a lot of other stuff as well. Yeah. So fully agree with like the rooted and the comfort zone part. Yeah. Um, well, before we end, I would love to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing right now and what you're most excited about with the the clients that you're currently working with and what you think you're, you know, really looking forward to in the immediate future. Um, 
So the clients I'm currently working with, I would say um, mostly two operators. And I see it's a lot, at least at the beginning, are like early stage. So it's kind of interesting that me being early stage, I'm also finding other early early stagers, or at least clients then, who are just, who, who maybe trust me or believe I have some kind of authority, or maybe it's the content you're talking about, which seems approachable. And it will always start with just asking me questions. And I have like this thing where people can first have like the 30 minute free consultancy because it's beneficial for both to get to know each other. And then from there, usually uh, I will, I think what happens now a lot that I just create like a strategy for them, just create, explain the first steps they can take because it's such a big, scary thing. And then I'll just try to break it down for them. Like in your situation, this would be beneficial or what also happens a lot. I, uh, I really support uh, the concept of storytelling. Uh, I think I don't really do it in my content, but I find it very suitable for like tourism companies. Uh, it's also really something we'd like to do more with in the future. Just have to find the right people or the right project. That I'm like kind of advising tourism companies to sell their uh, tours in a storytelling way. Because I think um, when you, for example, have a certain type of hike or something, I, for me, it's way more preferable to read it from on day one. We start here and we walk there that you get like, immersed in how this experience is going to be meaningful to you then that you see the additional value and the uniqueness rather than just seeing pictures a short description with bullet points because then it's it's very direct very short so i i think that's always something i i recommend so yeah, to summarize at the moment a lot of early stagers and just helping them taking the first steps and taking this fear away because somehow I seem like a, a, a service desk, maybe I get a lot of questions and then I have to find the point where I'm too nice and have to start charging basically mm -hmm. and where I'm still being nice or almost doing volunteer work because maybe I'm sometimes too nice on that perspective, but hey, I'm also still learning and I feel very honored that people trust in me for that, those kind of questions. And yeah, for, for next year, my future, Maybe um, I also love the place where I'm now with like smaller companies and like early stagers, but I think it would also be really cool to make like maybe like a big impact with like a bigger company or something long term that I can like review more often. Like I said, like a storytelling project would really be something of art and then maybe something of like a track or something with community would really speak to my heart. But in, in I'm also still really open to exploring stuff. And I'm just very happy that I get to connect with many people on a daily basis. Like I connect with you and ended up on this podcast. And like connecting with people brings so many beautiful things. So that's also something I definitely wish to continue. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I do think that's the most important key to everything is the connections that we make and um, and the stories that we can tell. I mean, that's, I think, very much what the podcast is all about. So I appreciate that. Um, well, before we end our conversation, I have a, a few rapid fire questions that we're going to to jump into. So let me get to those with you. Uh, the first is, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? I am a, a very bad reader. I have books with me, but usually I only read them when I have to be on the plane. 
Um, I am still reading a book. I've been taking too long for it already. It's a Dutch one. I think it's called Waar is het avontuur? Uh, Where's the adventure? It is a book written by my bachelor thesis supervisor who really inspired me and still does with her content and with how she advised me on this bachelor thesis with talent and stuff about choosing for adventure. And she also believes in micro adventure. So she's also like explaining you don't have to travel far for adventure. You can even find adventure in your own backyard. And it is part of the mindset I'm trying to work on daily that I really am working on a positive mindset, a growth mindset, but also the adventurous mindset, which goes very well in part of my curiosity. So I wouldn't say currently reading because I'm such a bad reader at picking up a book. I should do it more often. I really want to. I tell myself every year I should read more often. But at this moment, it's usually when I'm somewhere without the internet, young, phone addicted, so very bad of myself. Then I will grab the book and I will continue. But it's also very nice to then like dive back into it and think about what I read before. Yeah. And I love that idea. I think, um, especially during 2020, 2021, I was talking a lot about the art of travel, which is similar to that. Like you can like find those experiences all around you. And even in your daily life, you can bring that curiosity and that approach to just living. Um, so I'll have to look and see if there happens to be an English translation of the book that you mentioned. <laughs> yeah I, f- I think there might be at least her english she speaks english very well for sure i mean she was a lecturer at the bachelor i went to yeah um i can try to look it up for you and send you a link i, I definitely recommend it i really like the way she's talking and all, all in all the way she's also a very inspirational woman for this podcast potentially <laughs> thank you <laughs> um what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel uh, a notebook and food <laughs> yeah I'm a very uh, hungry person, so I usually try to be prepared by having snacks with me, but I also really like to try out local snacks. I really like to try out local food, and that can go very good or very wrong, but that's the curiosity which takes over my part, of course. And a notebook, I try to, if I see something or like a thought occurs to me, I, I don't again want to grab that phone. And especially when I'm like on my way to travel, I want to put the phone away. I, I don't want to be the, the phone zombie on the road like this one. My awareness is good enough to not do that one. <laughs> so then I, I really like when you're like on the bus, on the longer journey or somewhere else. And then you can just note something down and sometimes you get carried away. And for like both my bachelor thesis and my master thesis, I had research methods, which also involved noting stuff down and observing. So it's, again, something I should do more often, just like picking up the book. But then when I do it, I find some sense of peace. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, to sojourn is to travel somewhere as if you live there for a short while. Where would you still love to sojourn? Um, oh, it's so difficult because I love to travel to a lot of places. But I, I think I have two answers to that one. I still want to try to explore more about like Middle Eastern culture or like maybe North Africa. For example, I still have like Morocco on the list, but I, for a long time, when it's like safe and there's no war anymore, I also would really love to go to Syria. So kind of like cultures that I've seen a lot in the Netherlands because we have many Syrian refugees and people from Morocco were like the migrant workers back in the day. They have children by now. That's how it went. 
And their cultures are so rich. I really believe that like the Arabic culture is so intensely rich. And again, the food interests me too. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to see it from their perspective and just to, to see the, the, the colorful markets, all the colors, the architecture. Mm -hmm. I also really love to see like architecture. It makes me realize that I'm not uh, in place I'm used to. And the other answer would be totally different, like cold, very high, because I've been going to a lot of warm places, very south. But for example, it is a bucket list thing, so I shouldn't do it too consumptive, but I really want to see the Northern Lights. But then I think you can like combine it in a way when you go to or Lapland or Iceland that you can do it in a good way, stay for longer. Especially there's a lot of good stuff about Iceland that it's like one of the best counties for women and stuff. So lot of stuff still on my list yeah well I, I know too I think people that do some very mindful experiences that include the northern lights in those areas so I'll be sure to to pass those along um I think you'll love the next question from my understanding of you now <laughs> what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place you've been <laughs> oh wow 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 um whew. I'm thinking of the correct example because I eat a lot of different stuff. <laughs> but I think, and this is not exactly the same because I think you can't really replicate. There's a lot of stuff when you eat it somewhere, you cannot replicate it at home. Mm -hmm. Or you, you can try it, but it will not be as good. And for example, in Tanzania, there's this thing. It actually derives from the Indian kitchen. I think it's called chapati. But there is somehow there are also a lot of Indian people in Tanzania. And it is some kind of flatbread, but it looks like a pancake. Please don't be offended, Tanzanians and Indians. So then whenever you have like a different kind of flatbread in a different country, and it doesn't have the same structure, which happens with those a lot, then you still think about it, but then you think, oh, the ones there are better, or this mm. is better. And yeah, I think we, we in general also with spices, because at home, People think I eat very spicy. Like at my parents' dinner table, the spices, even the black pepper, it's a very Dutch bland, non-spice household. Even the black pepper, it will be next to my plate because she, the girl who wants to season her food differently. <laughs> so then whenever I go somewhere where they spice the food, it's already like, mm. so it was great to just eat with like international students who know how to season their food. And then it already... It already gives me warm feelings of travels, just traveling yeah. inside your own country to spices on the plate. <laughs> yeah, my daughter, that's one of the things she's like, I love the complexity of flavors. Like when we were in Mexico or in different places, just that different, the flavor profile that is much more complex than we're used to. Uh, the next question, who is a person inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? Oof, who's the person who inspired me to explore the world? Uh, I was so young, so I'm thinking, I think social media must have played a role. And again, the, the people around me, maybe. Um, I know, I know, I have to think a bit. I think it's my grandma. Um, It's my grandma. She sadly died almost five years ago, but she was the only one in my family, both sides, who traveled like me and she even did it when she still was old 
I loved it so much that when she was like in her, she died too young, but again, she was 70, so not to complain about. In her 70s, she would still travel with her girlfriends. She would leave the husband at home, take the girlfriends and go to Thailand. And for example, for my bachelor, I had an internship in Malta for five months. And she would be the only one who knew where I was. And then in a lot of places I've been, I would be like, oh, my grandma's been here. And just at this point, I just wished I could have traveled with her. Of course, not possible anymore. But like, it was a hard one to think about. But thinking about it now, it all derives back to my grandma, I think. And she used to be my baby. We didn't have a nanny. It was her. She was the nanny. So I guess when I grew up, I just saw her doing that. And I was so inspired by it because I wanted to do the same. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, the next question you may have just answered as well, but if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be? Yeah, grandma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's directly the answer. Like, I would have loved to cook with her. I would love to travel with her. But yeah, all sadly not possible. But yeah, other than that, I think would love to travel with like any friend or like family. I think like I lived for five months in Malta and then when like two years after I took my mom there to show where I lived and stuff, I think it all derives back to meaningful experiences. Like when you have meaningful company and the travel doesn't become so consumptive, but it's more about sharing experiences. I think just like uh, anyone within my support system would also be a great match. Yeah. Uh, the last one, Soul, is, Soul of Travel is a place for recognizing and honoring women in the industry. Is there one woman that you would like to use this space to recognize today? So one woman I found difficult, and also especially as we discussed before, that we like we connect every day. And then also because algorithm is funny, sometimes you see someone all the time and then you don't see them anymore. So I kind of feel like it comes like in waves when you see someone a lot and you really admire the work they do. And then maybe sometime later someone else. But I actually got two names for today. One has actually been on your podcast, I noticed. Uh, I hope I pronounced correctly. Nikki Padilla Rivera. Mm-hmm. I really like how she focuses on the actually the people who provide the information, the people who educate the tourists. She focuses on the tour guides. And on the people at the destination, because if they are better, your experience is better. And then not in the way of you have to do your job properly, but in the way of being more storytelling, being more immersive, being more educational, code of conduct way. So exactly the direction which I would love to have more experiences in. And I just love seeing her content where she's also very practical, in my opinion, and I will still learn stuff from her too. That I'm like, I would love to experience something like that if like a tour guide did this. But like in my own opinion, I would not take a lot of organized tours anymore. I prefer to do, do stuff myself. But then when something does something like this, oh, I would, I would. The other one I very recently connected with, uh, her name is Deborah Campagnaro, if I pronounce correctly. And she is a big advocate about the Kokoda track and... Papua New Guinea. And this is again driving back to community-based tourism. We were just sharing each other's love for community-based tourism over one hour connection call <laughs> because we we're just so passionate about it. How on this track in Papua New Guinea, there are like many community-based like villages living along the track, but they don't benefit much because the money goes to the bigger companies hosting the tracks. 
while they are passing through their villages and we were just having conversation about that and just the way she was so passionate about it even though she's all the way in Canada and she's advocating about it so much she's helping the I believe he's called Jesse who's actually living there and amazing people like that energize me so much yeah so I just wanted to give those two a shout out thank you so much um I'll link Nikki's episode um, in the show notes too, if people want to hear from her. And I'm definitely going to look up the Deborah as well. So I feel like I recognize the name, but I'm going to follow up on that. Um, well, Samantha, thank you so much. Um, one, thank you so much for just reaching out and and forging a connection. I appreciate it. And two, thank you for sharing um, your perspective and your passion for sustainability in this industry and creating really powerful conversations. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And and thank you for giving me the place to do so and for creating such an organic conversation, not like a one-way interview. Like this felt really authentic. Not for me, nothing felt forced. So I really enjoyed the experience of being here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to Soul of Travel, presented by Journey Woman. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you loved this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe and rate the podcast. Please share episodes that inspire you with others, because this is how we extend the impact of this show. Learn more about each of my guests by reading our episode blogs, which are more than your average show notes. I think you'll love the connection. Find our episode blogs at www.souloftravelpodcast.com. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Soul of Travel Podcast or follow me on Instagram either at she.sojourns or at soul of travel podcast stay up to date by joining the soul of travel podcast mailing list you'll also want to explore the journey woman community and its resources for women travelers over 50 i'd also like to share a quick thank you to my podcast producer and content magician carly eduardo ceo of convergente i look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story.